I want to start off by asking you a question this morning. Has there ever been a time, and I know there has been, think back to this time. Has there ever been a time where you really wanted something and you weren't supposed to have it? Alright? Um, so, probably uh, memories are coming back to you when you were a little kid and you really uh, wanted something but your parents wouldn't let you have it. Well, for me, that was candy. I had the sweetest tooth. And I would, I would eat candy till I would be sick. Uh, I wish I wish that was just when I was a little kid, but I still struggle with that. Still have a little bit of a sweet tooth. Um, but when I was a kid, I had a craving for sweets, and I would eat until I was sick. Well, um, I had a particular desire for Tootsie Rolls. And I don't know what it was about Tootsie Rolls, but I really loved Tootsie Rolls. Um, out of everything else, that was what I desired. And so uh, one of my earliest memories is my brother, my big brother, who's about seven years older than me, and uh, he was babysitting me, and it was just me in the house, me and him in the house, and I saw a gigantic Tootsie Roll in the freezer. And so I was excited. So I, I, I went to the freezer, went to go get that Tootsie Roll, but my brother told me I wasn't allowed to have it, and that ticked me off. I was angry because I wanted that Tootsie Roll, and he wouldn't let me have it. And so I remember asking, and he wouldn't let me have it, and I remember, you know, crawling on the floor and throwing my, my fits and, and my rage and it didn't matter how much I cried and begged. My brother still wouldn't let me have that Tootsie Roll. And the more that he wouldn't let me have it, the more angry I was because I thought that if I didn't have that Tootsie Roll and that's what I wanted, I couldn't be happy until I had it. So I was determined and uh, I made my way over to the freezer and I went to get that Tootsie Roll, but my brother stopped me. And he spanked me this time. He, you know, he slapped me on the hand and he said, bad Tootsie Roll. And he spanked me and he said, you're not allowed to have that Tootsie Roll. And I was angry because, man, I wanted that Tootsie Roll. Okay? And so, again, my brother, all of a sudden, he stands in my way and he won't let me get what I want. And that makes me angry. Well, then, uh, after a little bit of time goes by, I sneak off to the freezer again. And this time, I'm successful. I open the freezer door. My brother's not looking. I grab that gigantic Tootsie Roll and I take a bite. And um, my next memory is crying to my brother saying, bad Tootsie Roll. Um, you guys might, might know where this is going. Uh, somehow the cat had gotten in the freezer, and I don't know how the cat had gotten in the freezer. I don't know what's up with my family. Um, but the cat had gotten in the freezer, and literally uh, it scared the mess out of him. And so um, it was a really bad Tootsie Roll. It was a really bad Tootsie Roll. And I hope I didn't lose half the congregation over this story. Uh, I promise you, uh, women, I'm really sorry. I promise you, I thought really hard. I asked my wife, can you, if, can I come up with another illustration? And, uh, there was none that fit. So that was my illustration. So now I'm going to try to make this fit. Okay. So here's the deal. At the time, uh, hopefully I have your attention back. Okay. The story doesn't end there. It gets a little bit better. So at the time, I was really angry at my brother because he was stopping me from getting what I really wanted. Uh, but looking back, what I realized is that my brother was stepping, stepping in, and he was willing to get in my face. He was willing to tell me no. He was willing to warn me. He was even willing to spank me so that I would avoid misery, right? Because he knew what was best for me, and he wanted to protect me. Ultimately, after I go and I cry to my brother, uh, my brother didn't say to me, see, I told you so. I warned you what would happen. He didn't spank me for disobeying him, but my brother took pity on me, he had compassion on me, and as I'm crying and I've got chocolate all over my face, my brother picks me up and he carries me over to the sink because I'm not big enough to get to the sink myself, and he washes my face off and he cleans out my mouth 
Uh, and he holds me until I stop crying. He gives me a glass of milk so I can get that taste away. All right. Now, here's the deal. That's exactly what we see in this passage that we're about to read. Um, in this passage that we're about to, re- to read, there's a woman. Her name is Wisdom. All right. And Wisdom is primarily seeking after young boys. So these are boys who have not reached adulthood yet. And what Wisdom is doing is she gets in their face and she even insults them. And she says, this is the path to the good life. Follow me. Do everything that I tell you. Follow me. I am the path to the good life. I am the secret to the good life. And yet, these boys, they mock her, and they don't want to have anything to do with it. And they think, this woman is crazy. And so they ignore all of her advice. But again, wisdom says, stop. Choose me. If you go down the path that you want to go down, you are going to be brokenhearted. Your life is going to be complicated. Your life is going to be messed up if you ignore me. Don't, don't ignore me. Accept my counsel. And yet what we see is these youths ultimately think they're grown. And so they're gullible. They give into, uh, they give into these false promises and ultimately it does hurt their life. And what we see at the very end of this, as we'll see this morning, is that wisdom ultimately uh, though she mocks them, though she, though she says, you know, though she warns them, ultimately she gives them grace. And ultimately, like my brother, she comes and she cleans up their mess. So let's, let's read this text this morning. Proverbs 1, 20 through 33. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. But because I have called and you refuse to listen, I've stretched out my hand and no one has heeded. Because you have ignored all of my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I also will mock when terror strikes you, when terror strikes you like a storm, and calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you. Then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel, and despised all of my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have the fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Let's pray. Jesus, um, I feel so inadequate being up here. Um, God, this message is about fools who have not listened to your word. And even though you warned them and you told them the path to the good life, um, they ignored it. And instead, they went against your counsel and got, uh, got what was coming to them. God, that, that you warned them against the dangers of sin, and yet they ignored you. And, um, and so they experienced misery. And God, I am up here this morning, and this is, that's exactly who I am. God, I'm a fool. Uh, Jesus, um, even preparing for this sermon this week, God, there are uh, ways that I have disobeyed you. Even as I prepared this sermon 
and was ready to talk about wisdom and the path to life. God, I have ignored that, and I have chosen the path um, of misery. And so, God, I'm a fool this morning. Uh, Jesus, I pray uh, for your wisdom, Jesus, that your wisdom would shine through, um, and that ultimately, God, that we would see uh, that, that Jesus Christ is true wisdom, and he's become wisdom for us. So, God, that's my prayer this morning. Um, may you take this fool and may you use, uh, use my words uh, that people, that we might see that, that you are our wisdom when we are foolish. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. So this passage is a little bit tough. It's a little bit tense when you read it. And um, my first question is when I, get to this, when I get to this text, particularly looking at the first two verses, is, is what's up with this woman? <laughs> I mean, she seems crazy. <laughs> She's, she's in the middle of the street, she's in the middle of the corners, and she's screaming and she's crying out, and her message is intense. She calls us fools, she calls us simple-minded. She makes fun of us, she insults us, and she tells us uh, that she's going to laugh when disaster strikes us. So, when I first come to this passage, we've got to ask the question, who is this crazy woman? What is her deal? Why is she so intense? Why is she so serious? And uh, the first thing that we learn about wisdom comes from the actual word itself. So this woman, her name is wisdom. And this is a, this is a, a term that is used all throughout the Old Testament. Okay? Now, typically, when you and I hear the word wisdom, we think of someone who knows a lot of information, someone who has a lot of books, all right? and they just know tons of stuff. But that's not what the original hearers would have heard when they heard wisdom. Um, on the next slide, there is, uh, there's a passage in Exodus 31. Uh, and in this passage, uh, we see that uh, it says this, I have filled him with hakma, that's the word for wisdom, to make artistic designs for working in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut, cut and set stones, and to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of crafts. See, you and I, when we think of wisdom, we think of someone who knows a lot of things, but in the biblical days, the original hearers would have heard someone who had a lot of skill to do things. In this passage, someone who was wise wasn't someone who knew a lot, but someone who had the ability to work, be a carpenter, someone to cut, set stones, someone to build things. Okay? And so in Proverbs, it's the same thing. Don't think in terms of what someone knows, but someone who has the skill to thrive in life. And that's what, that's what wisdom is all about, the skill to thrive in life. Okay, um, so in Proverbs three, we get this great description of what it means, what wisdom is. Okay, look at this passage, and, and check out all the all the things that are underlined. These are descriptions of what wisdom is: the skill to the good life. Blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding, for she is more profitable than silver, and yields better returns than gold. She is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand, and in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her. Those who hold fast to her will be blessed. Wisdom will be life for you. Then you will go on your way in safety, and your foot will not stumble. When you lie down... You will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. You see, all those descriptions are descriptions of what the good life is. And so the first point this morning that I'm trying to make is that wisdom, this person who is crying out to us, she is the path to the good life. Look at all those words. Sweet sleep, 
pleasant ways, long life, paths of peace, that is the good life. So the next question that we want to ask is, if wisdom is the path of the good life, how do we get it? What is the secret? Okay, every single one of us, every human being, what we want is the good life. So the question that, that's really important is, how do I get it? Um, so in, if, if you look down in verse 29 and 30 um, of, of this passage, Proverbs 1, we'll see that wisdom equates herself, she equals herself to the fear of the Lord. So she says, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, they would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. In other words, those are all descriptions for her message. Her message is the fear of the Lord. So in other words, uh, the fear of the Lord and wisdom, they're synonymous. Now this isn't just, in case you think I'm just pulling this out of this text, uh, this is the main point of Proverbs. If you do a search for what it, uh, if you do a search for the fear of the Lord, in the book of Proverbs alone, it'll come up 20 times. So this is the very main point of the message of Proverbs. Number one, uh, wisdom is the path to the good life. But wisdom is also synonymous with the fear of the Lord. So that if you want to choose the fear, of, if you want to choose wisdom, if you want to have the good life, the way to get it is to fear the Lord. Okay. So most famously, uh, Proverbs one seven says that uh, the big, um, that the uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And Proverbs nine ten says the same thing that the beginning of wis- the beginning of of wisdom uh, is the fear of the Lord. It says the exact same thing. Um, and so they're synonymous with each other. They equal each other. This is why this is really important. Okay? That if, if, uh, the, if the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord, then the very first step, essentially Proverbs holds out two paths for us. The path to the good life and the path to misery. All right? And so the very first step that we take, if we want to choose the good life, if we want to experience the life that God promises us, then that path is found in fearing him. Okay, now, um, most of you might have heard this before, uh, may not be new to you, but just in case, the fear of the Lord is not the same as being, as being afraid of him. Okay, um, the fear of the Lord has much more to do with respect and worship and knowing who the ultimate source of satisfaction is, knowing ultimately who is the man. So in Deuteronomy 10, 12 through 13, I think that this is the greatest I think this is the greatest definition of what it means to fear the Lord. Um, in Deuteronomy 10, 12 through 13, says this, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and to keep, your, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today, for your good. So in this passage... Uh, the Lord says, what is it, Israel, that I command you? It's one thing. God commands one thing of his people, and he says, it's to fear me. But what does that look like practically? It's all those other things that follow the fear of the Lord combined all together. So what does it mean to fear the Lord? It means, number one, to walk on in all of his ways, plus to love him, plus to serve him with all of our heart, soul, and strength, plus to keep his commands. And why do we do that? Because it's for our good. That's what it means to fear the Lord this morning. And what, what Proverbs is telling us this morning is it holds out to us the promise of good life, the skill to live the good life, the way to go through life uh, and as much as possible escape misery from our decisions, as much as possible 
to escape hurting ourselves and escape hurting other people. That's the path to good life. And it says the way to find that is through serving God. It's following his commands. Okay? The problem with that is that um, we, all, we all are fearing something. There's, ultimately, there's something that we're looking to to find satisfaction. And if it's not the Lord, then it's going to lead to misery and it's going to lead to disappointment. So the way that this works is that if we fear the Lord, what that means is we think, we believe, we trust that he is our ultimate source of satisfaction. And so therefore, if he is our ultimate source of satisfaction, we do everything that we can possibly do to help us serve him more. So we go to Bible study. We memorize the scripture. We study scripture. We join accountability groups. We do everything that we can possibly do, not so that we can just obey his rules, but because we believe that that's ultimately for our good. Because if we do those things, it will help us know him more, and ultimately that will lead to our satisfaction. But the same thing, fear works the same thing no matter what we're fearing, no matter what we're worshiping. So for example, if we fear money, it's the exact same way. If we believe that money is the ultimate source of satisfaction, that if we believe that money is ultimately the thing that is going to make us happy, then we do everything that we can possibly do. We live our entire life just trying to get more of it. Because if that's what's going to satisfy us, then, we, then we're doing whatever it takes. Right? Working 80 hours a week, sacrificing our families, or being in the streets. Whatever it takes to get more money, if that's ultimately what satisfies, then we'll sacrifice everything else in order to get that. And what happens is we become, instead of a servant of God, we become a slave to money. If we fear relationships, romantic relationships, and we think that is, if I could just have somebody who loves me, that is ultimately what's going to satisfy me. Right? That is ultimately the thing that's going to make me happy. Then we will spend our entire lives trying to make somebody love us. We'll spend our entire lives uh, sacrificing everything else to stay in a relationship that's hurting us, to date non-Christians, to, um, to, to, try to, get somebody, to try to get attention from somebody. And we'll do everything that we can possibly do. And ultimately, instead of being a servant of God, we'll be a servant of romantic relationships. Um, I have several more examples. I'm going to skip those because of time. But let me tell you, uh, it goes on and on and on and on and on. Okay? What is it that you're fearing? Are you fearing the Lord? Do you think that he's the ultimate source of satisfaction? Or are you looking to somebody else? And the way that you can tell that is, what is it that you're looking to? Right? What is it that you spend your time thinking about? What is it that you spend your time engaged in? Are you trying to know more of Jesus because you believe that he'll satisfy you? Or are you, trying, are you looking to something else because you believe that's going to satisfy you? Number three, ultimately, we all, we all look to something else. So this passage says that we're gullible, all right? So let me just summarize kind of my main point so far. That wisdom holds up, the bait for wisdom says that we, she wants us to have the good life. And so she says, in order to get the good life, fear the Lord, look to him alone, make your entire life about serving him, and that is the path to the good life. The problem is, is that there are other voices crying out to us and saying, we also want to give you the good life. And these voices cry out to us, saying the exact same message. We're the way to get the good life. Follow me. Do this. Get me. And if you get me, then you'll experience the good life. In verse 24, wisdom says that she reached out her hand for us. Right? 
that she try, that she's trying to rescue us, right? But it says that we've rejected her. And the reason that she says that we've done that, uh, the, the answer that she gives in, in the passage, she calls us simple. Look at verse 22. This is the reason we reject her. How long, O oh simple ones, will you love being simple? Wisdom's op- opening address to her hearers, she makes fun of us. She calls us simple. In other words, we're using modern, modern talk. She would say, how slow you are. Why are you so slow? Why do you love your slow ways? Why are you so foolish? Why are you so stupid? So the idea is that of being gullible. She holds out the path to the good life, but instead of listening to her, we listen to other voices, right? Because we think that they're going to give us what they actually promise. Okay, so a good example of, of what it means to be gullible. You can think about it, if you've ever gotten an email uh, from a complete stranger and the woman's from Nigeria, <laughs> right? Have you ever gotten this email? The woman's from Nigeria and it just so happens that this woman's husband was the prime minister, and not only that, but it just so happens that the prime minister of Nigeria died. And it just so happens that the prime minister of Nigeria has $21 million. And it just so happens that the woman wants to give you $21 million. And all she needs from you is your bank account information and your social security number. All right? You laugh because you've gotten that email. Now, I wonder how many of you have clicked on that email. Okay? Uh, that's what it means to be gullible. It means that we trust. We're so trusting. This week, I was working on this pat, on this sermon, and as soon as I got to this, this point about what it means to be gullible, uh, I was, I was, I had my headphones in, I was in Panera Bread Company, and, uh, I was listening to internet radio on Pandora's website, and all of a sudden this advertisement came on. Listen to this advertisement, because I think this is, this is gullibility at its, at its best. Are you tired of being lonely? Are you nervous around the opposite sex? I used to be too, but now things are different for me. Now I can talk to any woman I want without fear of rejection. Imagine approaching that unapproachable hottie at the coffee shop. Imagine walking in and walking out with her phone number and a date in under two minutes. Imagine being able to approach any woman you want, any woman that catches your eye. Imagine what it would be like to know exactly what to say and what to do to make her fall for you. Imagine dating as many women as you want. Or maybe you'd rather just have that one special, amazing girl to love you. You can have that too, guaranteed. Thanks to Attraction Formula. Attraction Formula is literally the only program you'll ever need to get a girlfriend or to play the field. So you can enjoy the life you deserve to have. You'll always be able to enjoy the company of beautiful women whenever you desire. Sounds nice. So... Nice, how do I get this? It's easy to get started. You can do this. You can be living the life that most men will never, ever get the chance to experience. So here's all you need to do. Not making this up. This is the advertisement. Number one, go get your wallet and get out your credit card. (laughs) Number two, uh, click the add to cart button below. Number three, fill out the information on the next page. And four, start meeting beautiful women today. Alright, here's the thing. Uh, I, I kid you not, I went and researched this. This guy who created this is a multimillionaire over this program. Why is he a multimillionaire? Because there are thousands of awkward men who don't know how to talk to women. 
And all they want is to be able to, to, to meet some girl and know how to talk to her. And so they're, they're willing to, to, uh, they're willing to put out their information, willing to give, the, give out their credit card information. Alright? Now here's the deal. Typically, the more that we want something that's being promised to us, so whatever that thing that's being promised to us is, the more that we want that thing, the more likely we are to be blind to the trap. Does that make sense? So, uh, the more awkward and painfully shy you are, and the more you want to meet women, the more likely you are to uh, go look up attraction formula and, and you know, get your information. All right? It's like a mouse that's hungry. All right? The more that that mouse wants that piece of cheese, the more hungry it is, the more likely it is to only focus on that cheese and not realize that it's stepping into a trap. Okay? Um, all throughout Proverbs... Uh, you get these speeches from wisdom, and she says the whole the whole thing all throughout Proverbs. It's these beautiful poems, all right. Uh, especially Proverbs one through nine. These beautiful poems, and wisdom says, "Choose me. I am the path to the good life. And the way to get me is to choose the fear of the Lord. It's to worship the Lord alone, to look to Him alone. And yet, all throughout Proverbs, there's also these other speeches, these other voices who are saying the exact same thing, and they're holding out something else to us and saying, "Choose me." Follow me. I will satisfy you. I'm the source of satisfaction. Um, there are several of these. I want to look at two of them. So on the next slide, um, you'll see Proverbs 1. And this is right before this passage. And in this passage, it's a poem. And, w- and what it's describing is the street life. Okay? Um, the streets are crying out to these young men. And they're saying, young men, go to the streets. We know how to get easy money. We know... But there's lots of friends. You'll, if you join the streets, you'll make lots of friends and you'll make lots of money. And so what happens is the focus becomes on the streets and the rewards that the streets gives. And yet what the, what the youth don't see at the end is that there's a hook. Okay? Listen to this passage. My son, if sinful men entice you, do not give in to them. If they say, come along with us, let's lie and wait for innocent blood, let's ambush some harmless soul... Let's swallow them alive like the grave and whole like those who go down to the pit. We will get all sorts of valuable things and fill our houses with plunder. Cast lots with us. We will share the loot, the money. My son, do not go along with them. Do not set foot on their paths. For their feet rush into evil. They are swift to shed blood. How useless to spread a net where every bird can see it. Stop right there. What she's saying is she's holding out the promise. The streets are saying money and friends. Alright, but here's the catch. There's the bait, but there's always a hook. And here's the hook. Verse 18. These men lie in wait for their own blood. They ambush only themselves. Such are the paths of all who go after ill-gotten gain. It takes the, takes away the life of those who get it. In other words, uh, the promise is the streets will give lots of money. The streets will give uh, lots of friends. Alright, and all of a sudden that becomes the focus. But what happens is there's always a hook behind it. And the hook is it takes away the very life of those who get it. Another great example. So we, in Proverbs 7, another beautiful poem. In this poem, the, the attention shifts away from easy money and it goes to easy sex. And in this poem, there's a woman who's a married woman and she's crying out to the men and she says, come get me. Easy money, I mean easy sex, Without consequences. Listen to what she says. Verse 16. I have covered my bed with colored linens from Egypt. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. 
Come, let's drink deeply of love to morning. Let's enjoy ourselves with love. My husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He took his purse filled with money, and he's not going to return home till full moon. With persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. Right there, what's the bait? Sex without consequences. There's not going to, one night stand, no strings attached. What's the bait? Verse 22. All at once he followed her, like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer stepping into a noose, till an arrow pierces his liver, like a bird darting into a snare, little knowing that it will cost him his life, cost him his life. In this passage, there's the bait, alright? But the kicker is, he, she, the, the poem gives three illustrations of how an animal is tricked, you know, how an ox doesn't know that it's going to be killed. If it knew that it was about to walk into the slaughterhouse and have its throat cut, it would run the other way. The problem is the, the ox is outsmarted, and so it walks in and ultimately destroys himself. Same thing with the deer, steps into the trap till his liver is pierced. The bird, same thing, flying along, wants whatever it is that puts him in that trap, and then all of a sudden he's caught and captured. And so the, the image is the exact same thing for you and I. All right? That sin, the reason that we sin is because we believe that it's going to give us something. It holds out bait to us. It holds out something that makes us think, if I could only have that, that is what would satisfy me. If I could only have more money, then I would be satisfied. If only my kids would be happy. If only I could get my kids whatever it is that they ask for, then I would be happy. If only I had this relationship. If only my husband was more like this. If only my... And on and on and on and on it goes. And so there's this temptation. And the reason it's tempting for us is because it promises us satisfaction. It promises us happiness. But in the end, we are gullible because all we see is the bait and we don't see the hook. Make sense? Lastly, we come to um, this last point. And I want to say this, um, this message, I, I hope that I hope that you don't feel beat up over this, um, because the truth is, uh, even though this passage is about warning us against being gullible, about warning us against uh, the decisions that we, we make that lead to misery, the truth is, is that all of us have been gullible. Not a single person in this room has, has been wise enough to escape their temptation. Every single one of us, if we've lived longer than two years old or three years old, when we can make our own decisions and get around on our own, we've done, we've done things that have hurt us. All right? And again, uh, the Lord has told us the path to the good life. He's, he's told us what wisdom is. Fear Him. Worship Him alone. Look to Him alone for satisfaction. And the problem is, all of us have listened to those other voices instead, and we've instead heard, no, there's an easier way than the fear of the Lord. There's a quicker way to happiness. There's a quicker way to these things. Choose me. And so we've all been gullible and we've believed those lies. We've taken the bait, all right, not seeing the hook behind it. So I want to say this morning, uh, if you if you can look at your life and, and you can see the mistakes that you've made, all right, you can see the ways that you haven't, you chose something else over the fear of the Lord, and you can see the brokenness that it's caused you. Maybe you're here this morning and you feel like your life uh, is so complicated because of decisions you've made in the past. Maybe you feel like it's so broken 
that we've caused ourselves so much heartache because of the things that you've done. The last point is for you. Look at verse 22. Wisdom cries out. She says, how long, how long, O simple ones, will you love your simple ways? And the point is, it doesn't matter if it's been a really long time. Number one, the main, the main point is, if you're here this morning, and maybe you're currently dealing with a temptation, are you going to continue to prolong that? Or are you going to wake up to realize that it's only leading to misery? That's, the, that's, that's one point. But also, even if it has been a really long time, wisdom, wisdom doesn't care. Wisdom still takes you. She still accepts you. Verse 22, how long along, simple ones, we love being simple. Then listen to verse 23. This is your promise. If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Okay? The promise is it doesn't matter how long or how badly you've forsaken the Lord. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how many times we've given into that same temptation over and over again. Uh, one of my favorite Proverbs is Proverbs 26:11, and it says, As a dog returns to his vomit, so a man repeats his mistakes, repeats his sins over and over again. All right? It doesn't matter how many times you've gone back to the same thing. If you're here this morning, wisdom cries out to you, and she says, she promises, if you turn at her reproof, she will embrace you, she will pour herself out to you. Okay? But greater than that is that this promise is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. In Luke, um, Jesus comes and he says that there is someone greater than Solomon who's arrived. Okay? Solomon was considered the wisest man who had ever lived. And in fact, he's the, he's the one credited for writing uh, the, this proverb and also collecting the entire book of Proverbs. Considered the wisest man who had ever lived. And Jesus says, I am greater than him. This is why this matters. Okay? Solomon gave us all this advice. He told us that the path to the good life, the path to wisdom, is to worship the Lord alone. And yet, Solomon ultimately was a fool himself, just like all of us. Solomon said, only worship the Lord. And yet what you see in 1 Kings 11 is that Solomon, he gave us advice, but ultimately he felt it himself. Solomon told us to worship the Lord, and yet he uh, worshipped false gods. And ultimately his life was a lot more complicated because of it. And in fact, his entire life work, which is about the kingdom, it was taken away from him because he rejected the fear of the Lord, and instead he looked to other idols, other false gods, looked to other things to satisfy him. But Jesus says, that the the Bible tells us about Jesus, that he has been tempted in every way as we are, yet he didn't sin. He's greater than Solomon. He's here. He's the one who's experienced every temptation that you're going through. All the deceit that you are facing in your temptations, Jesus has experienced it too. And yet, he is the only wise person, truly wise person, because he didn't give in to that temptation, and he lived a perfect life, and he did it for you, he did it for me, when we were fools and we chose the wrong path, Jesus lived the life that we couldn't have. Beautiful passage in 1 Corinthians 1, 26-31. Listen to this. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us 
wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, it is as written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. This morning, if your confidence is in yourself, if it's in your ability to choose the right path, you are a fool. If your confidence is, is that you have the ability to, uh, to say no to temptation and say yes to the good life, you are a fool. Because as a dog returns to his vomit, so a man repeats his folly over and over and over again. We're gullible. We're foolish. And yet, when we admit that we're foolish, Jesus becomes our wisdom. See, Jesus is, Jesus is wisdom himself. He's greater than Solomon. He is wisdom himself. And when we go to him and we admit that we are foolish, when we admit that we are sinful, when we admit that uh, we are struggling and we're, and we're weak, Jesus says, I will be your wisdom for you. When we admit that we are unrighteous, Jesus is our righteousness. When we admit that we are unholy, Jesus is our holiness. So this morning, in a few minutes, we're going to take communion. And this table is not for the wise. This table is not for those who have made all the right decisions in life. But instead, this table is for those who know that we've made the, we've made the wrong decisions, that we've chosen the wrong path. It's for the gullible. It's for the foolish people. Are you a fool this morning? Can you admit that you've blown it? Can you admit uh, that your only hope is that Jesus would be wisdom for you? If so, this table is your opportunity to proclaim that. Cling to him, not yourself. Let's pray. Lord God, I, um, I confess, God, my own, fault, my own folly. God, I'm a fool. Uh, Jesus... You hold out the good life to us, and instead of us choosing that good life, God, all of us reject, uh, reject, we've rejected you. And Jesus, we've said that we don't want the good life that you have to offer, and so we've looked for it in our own way, and we've tried to bless ourselves. And God, how foolish we are. Jesus, thank you that you are not a God who rubs our face in the mud, but instead, Jesus, that you are a God who came for fools, and you died for us, that we could experience new life. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your grace. We need it this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.